Welcome to Real Conversations, exploring the meaning behind the music. Hi, I'm Reverend Jeannie Kataoka. And I'm Al Yankee. Join with us for a deep dive into the inspiration and meaning behind the music of New Thought, as important New Thought artists share the story of their creative process and their spiritual journey. Real Conversations is a rare opportunity to take a look behind the curtain to discover the connections between the stories, the music, the artists, and you. So let's dive right in to Real Conversations, exploring the meaning behind the music. Hello, today we're talking to Bodhi Starwater Sechko and I have a little bit of information on him. So after hearing Paul Horn play flute in the Taj Mahal, Bodhi knew at the age of 14, the silver flute would be his lifelong companion. Over the years, he has added many instruments to his orchestra, including exotic flutes from around the world, conch shell, 12 string guitar, charango, which is a small Andean stringed instrument of the lute family. I had to look that up. <laughs> Tibetan bowls, feathers, harmonica, gong, drums, and rattles. He's been working with sound meditation, sound healing, and sacred sound journeys for over 40 years. Had, has studied with Tito La Rosa, Paul Horn, Aluddin Matthew, and many other artists. Around the globe, his music is used in yoga studios, health spas, and health practitioners' offices. His music has had millions of plays on Pandora, Spotify, Apple Music, and other streaming sites. He has a deep love of the natural world and worked many years as a wilderness and river guide. Playing his flute in the forest, inspired by the sounds of nature, Bodhi developed his own unique style of improvisation within the healing music modalities. He has been featured a featured artist at many festivals and conferences around the world, including the International Conference on Shamanism. He has 18 original albums in his portfolio and is the founder of the touring recording ensembles Sonic Transfusion, Crystal Wind, and Rhythm Mace in conferences. In 2021, he created the Soundscape Oasis, a sound healing temple sanctuary in Mount Shasta, California. And his latest endeavor is a book entitled Five Elements of Sound Healing, the Art of Vibrational Medicine and Sonic Ceremony. Welcome, Bodhi. <laughs> wow. Sometimes <laughs> when you hear back, you kind of wonder how that all happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's true of most artists, and I usually grab their bio from the website or wherever I can get it, and they're usually like, wow. wow. I haven't heard that in a long time, but it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's comforting to know that, that I have accomplished some of my dreams. You've been places. You've done things. <laughs> I suppose that's what it comes down to, isn't it? You know, Places to go, people to meet. I mean, famous saying. Exactly, exactly. And so, now I'm meeting you. Yeah, 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 and welcome. Um, so as a, as a fellow musician, lifelong musician, I'm always curious how folks get their start. You know, what was, uh, what, what was your beginning in music? Was it, uh, uh, you know, we had that Paul Horn illusion 
was yeah, that, that it? Well, that came later on. Uh, I, I started. I, I remember. I remember. Uh, well, it started with my parents. For some reason, there was a requirement in our family. I had four siblings, and all five of us had to take piano lessons. That was a <laughs> that was a family requirement, <clears throat> and and I enjoyed it to some degree. I, I didn't always want to practice, but I did enjoy it, and I got into it. And then when I discovered when I was in fourth grade, uh, the trumpet. Somehow, a friend of mine was playing the trumpet. And I went over to his house and he showed me the trumpet and somehow I got enamored of the trumpet and I wanted to play. So I got a trumpet. I joined the band for eight years uh, as a trumpet player. And then I uh, and I remember also I had to do the accordion for a while because my grandfather or my no, my great grandfather played the accordion, the old squeeze box back in New York in a, in a little kind of a small house that he built and my grandmother still lived there and uh that was my father's mother and was so that the uh, was that was he possibly uh carrying an old world uh uh kind of convention with him because uh, uh sechko sounds to me like it might be a, a czech name is that would that be right exactly right it czech uh, the thing is it's hungarian czech it was kind of the austro-hungarian empire apparently and the name, but the, the irony is, is that, you know, my, my, my father, my grandfather's mother married to uh, a, a, a Paul Sechko. His name was Sietzko and they phoneticized it to Sechko. And they did that at the turn of the century when my grandfather came over here from Hungary. And so he wasn't actually not a Sechko because his father was uh, apparently a Duke in Hungary and, his mother was the stable girl and the story goes. And so she had to leave the country. She came to America, married Paul Sechko, had other children. And then when my grandfather was nine years old, they sent for him. He came across by himself to Ellis Island at nine and joined the family and then got adopted by his mother's new husband and became a Sechko. So I, Sometimes wonder, you know, although on the other side of the family, they're from Czechoslovakia. So there's definitely Austro-Hungarian, Czech all in there. But the name itself is not really my bloodline, which is kind of interesting. And yet after three or four generations, that just becomes what it is. And maybe that's why I became Bodhi Starwater, because I don't completely associate with that name in terms of my bloodline. But it's definitely from Eastern European. And then my mother's side was all Irish, Scottish, English. So... I'm a uh, European uh, rainbow child. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so you played in band and then you, uh, you know, graduated high school, I guess. And did you study music in college or where'd you go from there? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So my, I did, all, I we did go back once to visit the family and they, they let, they, they asked me if I wanted my great, great grandfather's accordion and they handed it to me. I opened it up and the whole thing fell apart in a pile of dust. And I was like, well, you know, if, if it played, it'd be nice, but it's just dust. And so I I, let, I didn't do that. But and he also had a there's a flute involved somewhere in there. But I, I, I kept going. And then, like I said, when I was 14, I heard Paul Horn play and my whole world just upended 
you know, up until that point, I was into the doors and I was into the, the sixties music, but, uh, I heard the flute and something in me just woke up and I wanted to play the flute. So I got a flute for $5 from a friend of mine. She got a new flute, fellow band member. And so I, I went away to a, a high school and I just started playing the flute for three or four hours every day. I just got obsessed with the flute all through high school. And then I went to college. I actually went to college and, and got uh, expressive arts and a music degree. And I studied classical music and jazz and I studied music production. I was full on obsessed with music all through college, played in tons of bands, ma started making uh, albums because it was all of a sudden it was easy. Colleges all had these music production studios, right? So I started taking music production. And so late at night after school, I'd go into the music studio with the eight track machine and start layering my flute and mm. start creating flute albums. And so that was the beginning of my first albums, uh, which was uh, Ocean Whispers and Cloud Etchings, those early flute albums in the in the 1980s. And that might be a good place to example a little piece of those uh, Ocean Whispers and Cloud Etchings, some, some samples from that album. You know, there's one uh, uh, on Cloud Etchings. I, d I gave that a listen and, and it seemed like you had some different variations on the title track. Like you had a few things that were called cloud etchings. What was called flute and birds. I think that's the one that you I know, kind I think, of chose. What happened is I did a cloud etchings album and then uh, 33 years later, I did a remix and that's called cloud etchings 33. Okay. And so, so there's two out. The early cloud etchings was released in 1986 and 33 years later, I released Cloud Etchings 33 and I did a remix and I cut the pieces up into specific sections that were more cohesive little short segments of that could be uh, little sound bursts and more like seven, eight minutes instead of the 30, 40 minutes that the originals were. I enjoyed doing that very much. And so that's Cloud Etchings. Uh, there's a number of tracks from there that we could choose from. Uh, in terms of, uh, uh, but one, but probably the uh, the actual, you know what my favorite piece on that album is called Crystal Winds. Crystal Winds is a nice, beautiful track with the flute and the synthesizers and I get really spacious. It's that time when new age music was just blossoming in the eighties and it was really uh, a time, kind of a heady time for that kind of music. And Stephen Halpern was playing, doing his music. Hearts of Space with Stephen um, uh, was doing all, all I was being played on those radio stations. And it was just a really time when music got expansive. Right. It was starting right. to leave the, the three minute, the three minute time, uh, uh, time uh, handcuffs, you know, it came off and it was like, all right, let's just like create this spacious sonic space. And, in some ways, I think that was the beginning of the sound healing movement as well. Well, with that, let's give let's give it a listen. So this is from Chris uh, from excuse me, Cloud Etchings, thirty three, Crystal Winds.
Well, that was gorgeous. After, after, after that, after, you know, so, um, you know, you're using instruments. Were you using any electronics as well? I was using a synthesizer, uh, a keyboard. And I also, on my first album, way back, even before that, the Ocean Whisper album, which preceded that, I was getting in, I was studying electronic music with the modular synthesizers where you had to tune the notes and plug the chords in. And, and it was like this, the whole modular thing that was happening in, in the 50s, it started, right? And then the 60s, it branched out and a lot of the whole craft work and Tangerine Dream and uh, Klaus Schultz and, and all these different uh, electronic artists started coming, Jean-Michel Jarre came out and it's a whole, the whole electronic world. And then they started all the keyboard companies started making more user-friendly synthesizers. So I got, so I had a couple of those and I was using Juno 106 was a beauty and, and this DX seven. And so I was definitely starting to use those big pads as a starting place for performing the flute over. And that became a whole style in itself. You know, we're just celebrating, uh, we've, we've got the 50 years of hip hop, but we've also got 40 years of MIDI. Hmm. Oh, wow. 40 yeah, so years for, of MIDI. Exactly. So that's right that time period you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, MIDI was certainly a, certainly made it possible to synchronize a lot of different instruments. I even had a band, my Rhythm Matrix band was an electronic band with six artists, all running loopers. And I had a, I had the the uh, the master clock, and I sent them all a MIDI signal, so everybody was in time and sync, no matter what they created. We had six different artists all looping stuff, all in sync with each other, and it was a, another heady time of electronic uh, wildness. Wow! <laughs> a MIDI mid, mid, musical instrument digital interface. Exactly. That <laughs> some of our <laughs> listeners may not know that. Well, I wanted to circle back a little bit. Uh, that you know you heard a flute played in the Taj Mahal at the age of 14 so obviously and then having read your book I, I know that you've traveled other places as well how ha have your travels um, influenced your music I know you studied with Tito in Peru um, and, and so yeah so how how has that informed your music well I think when you travel to different lands and different countries you, you get a sense of of number one, how universal music is and the language I can go play anywhere with anyone in the world. And at the same time, the variety and the differences of cultural context of music, of how the scales can be slightly different and, and, and the rhythms are all different. And like the environments in which people live, create and co-create the kind of music they play. And so if I'm in Africa listening to music or I'm in Thailand or in the Philippines or in India, I studied Indian music for many years. I studied Balinese music. I was in a Balinese gamelan for a while and their flute, their scales, their pentatonic scale is very different from the native American scale. You know, so Bodhi, can you take a second? Because I mean, I know what a gamelan looks like, but I <laughs> bet you most people don't. Well, a gamelan is a orchestra of metal instruments, like in some ways a, a forerunner to the to this to the hong, you know, which is a metal instrument banged with, but it's got a bunch of little notes on it. People know the steel pan and the hand pan these days. It's a very popular instrument. 
And the gamelan would have like maybe a hundred of these gongs with a little nipple on the top, like a like a little bulb, and uh, and and they're and they're all tuned to a different note, and and they played in. They have this very complex uh, or very complex music theory of inter interlacing the, the the rhythmic patterns. And so all these gongs are all going off maybe bong, 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 bong. And another one's going bong, bong, butter. So they're all inter. And you get this whole, almost a cacophony, but since the scales are matched, it's this beautiful etheric metallic sound of like bells ringing, almost like a chorus of bells. And people are seated around. And then there's always a flute player playing the melody. And then there's the big gong in the middle that plays like every 20 minutes plays one note. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> the most prestigious, honorable, most difficult position. Cause you got to stay awake and present to know when that one note, talk about the one sound and usually the master sits there. <laughs> So do you have any particular song um, on your albums that that stands out to you that that shows that, you know, how how your travels informed your music or even a couple of them? Oh, yeah, I would say one that comes to mind is uh, uh, on my Trans Ukraine album. I was in Ukraine in 2005. And uh, I was a music director at a conference, an international conference in Crimea, which is Krim. They call it Krim. It's Crimea, the island down there, which is now part of Russia. It's uh, there. I I was live. I was in Kiev, the capital, and I met a producer there, and I connected with him. And I did. There's a piece called Kiev One. There's the K I E V, and it starts out. I did all the, the flute work, but he played this sort of quintessential Russian landscape keyboard part that just hmm. opens up. You can just feel, you can feel that part of the world. It's just the way there's, I don't know what it is, but there's a certain chord progression, a certain evolution of notes and it's slow. And I love the way that I was so, you know, so inspired by that because I actually, I played, I, I recorded three pieces over there. Each piece was 20 minutes long. And I later broke it down into nine pieces, three of each. And so Heave One is the first track of the album. And you hear that Russian landscape just swelling up out of the music. And I got chills when I got to play the flute to it. I had my, actually I had my Celtic maple, my maple Celtic flute out of maple wood. And it was just this beautiful epic soundscape that just took me on a journey and brought me into that, into that zone, into that culture, into that part of the world and something I would have never created here in America. Okay. Well, let's listen to that then.
what kind of keyboard was that? I don't know what he had. He had all these. I didn't pay attention to what he had. Actually, we, we were in his studio in Kiev, Ukraine, and he had this, all these keyboards set up. And and it was I'm, I'm saying I'm playing. I had a groove. I'd laid down a, a rhythm track. I'd laid down the key and the mode that I wanted, but, but, you know, I gave the key and the mode and he just he said, okay. And he just sat down and just started playing. And he wow. just, and I sat back and, and he sculpted this whole like 10 or 15 minute saga that I then improvised the flute over. Mm. But I set the, the, the pace, the rhythm, the time, the key, the mode, and, he just ran with it and it was just, he was so inspired and it just was a beautiful collaboration, mm. international collaboration of, of, of past the language. Cause he barely spoke English at all. Mm. Had yeah, a translator. But, but we knew to you saying that you can, you know, with music, you can go, travel anywhere and, and share that art with anybody, you know, if they know music. Yeah. Like I've Unlike studied language. in India. Yeah. Language you have to learn. The language of the you have to learn the new words in a different right. language but music language is pretty universal mm -hmm. around the world i've been played with people in india i made a whole album in the philippines which i never actually released yet it just never got to it i still have all the tracks it's going to take a lot of work but in india thailand uh well you are um, in you are in peru peru i've been to peru and i I in Peru, that's my latest influence, actually, because it was early on in the 70s. I was in Peru. I was collecting pan flutes. I was collecting instruments and I learned how to make pan flutes, which is a zampogna or in, you know, the pan flute in Europe, you know, like what's his name? Zamfir. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Classical. I mean, the guy like rocks that instrument like nobody's business. It's unbelievable what he can do. So it's such a beautiful instrument. So I got exposed to that in, in the seventies when I was traveling all through Peru. And then later on, you know, a couple of decades later, I discovered Tito La Rosa from Peru who has taken the more shamanic approach to music and the more uh, ceremonial aspect of music and, and, and into the sound healing, he's actually called a sound healer, curandero de sonido, they say in, in Peru, maestro curandero de sonido. So I just, when I met him, it kind of brought all my world travels and all my world instruments together. And I could create my own sound healing orchestra from the unique set of instruments that I had. And I love that now that's what's happening all over the world. People are creating their unique orchestras based on where they've been and what sounds they're drawn to. And because I'm a flute player, the pan flute was a natural. And there's this flute called the Kena, which has a very similar mouthpiece to the Shakuhachi from Japan. Very difficult to play. So I just embraced all the South American flutes for the last three or four years. I've been practicing them like crazy to learn how to play them. And now they're the main instruments I'm playing in my sound healing soundscape journeys. Now, I saw your uh, on your on your website there, were, or maybe it was somewhere else on the web. There was a picture of uh, the soundscape oasis, and is that it? It, it uh, I'm guessing that it's a yurt. Is that is that right? It is a yurt, a 24 foot yurt that I picked up from Pacific Yurts in Oregon, and I I put it together a couple of years ago, uh, about six months. I had some help with a lot of friends, and 
and created a, a space specifically dedicated for ceremony and sound healing and a sacred uh, space for exploring sound and experiencing sound. And of course, sometimes it's been happened a lot because of the nature of the weather in Mount Shasta that at the end of a sound healing session of an hour and 20 minutes or so, it'll just start raining and that'll be the, that'll be the final portal for about five, 10 minutes to sit and listen to the rain on the roof. So nature is intricately interwoven. There's a Creek right outside that you can hear. And so nature sounds have become my uh, foremost ally in my sonic palette, as it were. Why do you now you're, you know, you're pretty learned in this. Why do you suppose water sounds are so healing? Well, there's something about water, particularly ocean waves. For me, they just emanate and elucidate the cyclical wave nature of life. And we talk about, you know, frequency is the buzzword these days. It's all about frequency. So frequency means how often something happens. So the frequency of a wave is how often does that wave pass through the air? And then the wave passes through water. And water, sound travels faster through water than through air. Apparently it's a, a somehow it's the medium of water transmits sound quicker than through earth. So the water sounds for me, they just, there's something about them that, that recalibrates when you sit still and take it in and listen to water, it recalibrates my nervous system and I just feel more relaxed and I tune into my breath. I feel how similar my breath is to the ocean wave. It's exactly the same phenomenon. The ocean, I mean, I think about it sometimes every day. I think the ocean waves, they never stop. Mm-hmm. And my breath never stops. And if it does, then I'm not here anymore. <laughs> so the breath, the wave animates life. So somehow water mirrors that or elucidates that. And, you know, aside from that intellectual uh, description of how I think it might be, there's just the physiological experience of it. It feels really good to be near water. I mean, I am a Pisces, so I suppose that might have a little bit to do with it. <laughs> well, I think everybody can identify with that. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you said talking about the rain on the roof or the creek running by or the ocean waves, and and people are just naturally drawn to that because it is, air quotes, peaceful. You know, yeah. and it's actually very dynamic. Dynamic. Exactly. And dynamics is the one thing that I feel is missing from most music. Most, most music here is just, it's mm. kind of one level. You know, they hit you with this level and it's like, if you really pay attention to nature, it's super dynamic. It goes from extremely loud to extremely soft. Very yeah, quiet. You don't hear that anymore. They, they, they work it, smashing it down. Yeah. So, so I love the dynamics and the vast, that's to me is what, allows for the space for what I call the quiescence, which is the, because <laughs> there is no such thing as silence except in a vacuum. And in a vacuum, maybe you can keep out all sounds and then you'll hear the blood in your head rushing. You'll hear those tones in your head. You'll hear what I call your inner crystal tuning fork. 
that we all have within us. And when we tune into that particular frequency, we get to know who we are and what our purpose is and how we function and how we fly and how we float and how we carry on. So if you can, and if you can get at least some kind of quiet, we also start to hear that. And what I, I, you know, the word quietness is what I had a chapter in my book called quiet, my first book, Tao of music called quietness. And there's that, just understanding that anywhere in the world you go, I've never experienced silence anywhere. You sit still long enough, there will be some sound. There will be a fly. There will be an airplane in the distance. There'll be water nearby. There'll be a rustle in the grass. There'll be sound of your own breath. There'll be something making a sound. And tuning into those subtle, quiet sounds is where we find more subtle experience of life. I've always, uh, not mattered about always, but one of the philosophical problems that has sometimes been helpful and sometimes not been helpful to me as a composer or songwriter is the idea that like a, like a painter starting with a blank canvas, we start with silence and then what can we do to improve it? <laughs> well, there are artists who have put out blank canvases as art. <laughs> so I, I can I can relate. I have the same conundrum, of course. And and so every sound so make every sound count. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We can we can certainly fill up the air with sound. That's not a problem. That's not you know? a problem. And we can fill up the space with noise and we can fill up the canvas with color. I mean, Jackson Pollock took that to the, you know, just splash it on there, man, and created <laughs> amazing images, right? I mean, that sold for millions of dollars. So it's incredible what's possible. And the latest thing in art, the imaginary art, that blew my mind. You know, the woman in New York who sold these paintings for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, it was just an imaginary art, nothing on the wall. And the people would come up with what's there. She'd describe it to them. And then, oh, that's great. I'll take that one, 20000 They go home. She goes to their house. She describes what it is again, so they remember. And then he put a label on it with the name list. And then there's a blank wall. And there's that piece of art that she created in their minds together. And that's taking it all the way out. That's that's the total experience right there. Well, you know, John Cage was famous for his piece where he, the guy went out to the piano and sat down for five or eight, however long it was. He sat at the piano and then he got up and left. He didn't play a note. So that was a little controversial at the time, but he's making the same point. Yeah. yeah. And you have to go, yes, but is it art? <laughs> yes exactly exactly we've uh we've Definitely. wandered we've wandered a bit here and there's 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 one you know there's several connections that you and i have that maybe you know another time but uh but there is one that really surprised me um and that is one of your one of your other teachers not tito la rosa or paul horn but uh bill matthew allowed in matthews Yes, he, uh, um, I met him um, at, at one of the uh, jazz things where we were both featured as former uh, ar arranger composers for Stan Kenton. Ah. And, uh, and then he started talking about 
some, you know, people said, what are you doing lately? And he's talked about his settings of roomy poems. Right. Right. And, right. and I, uh, that kind of, I went, what, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so we connected on a whole different level there. And Ben, you, right. and you, uh, you have studied with him. I did. And I've also made an album with a poet that we did roomy poems and piano and, that's another album that went out just to a small select and never got publicly released, but I did a whole beautiful album of poetry and piano. Someday I'd like to release that. But Laudian was very pivotal in my career uh, because he was the first one to really get my Cloud Etchings album. You know, I came in, I was in all these other bands and I played him this music and that music. And he said, well, tell you the truth, this Cloud Etchings album is the one where I think you really discovered your own voice because it was so unique at Tibetan bowls and flute, right? I mean, that was in nature sounds. And so he, and so he had, did you go to his studio up in Sebastopol? The, he had a dome there with his grand piano up in the backyard. I haven't been and, there. No, that sounds like a, a road trip. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that where that was 20, 30 or more years ago that I studied with him up there. So, but there was, a, but the, he taught me, a lot of different things, you know, uh, about about rhythm and about approaching sound differently, and you know, learning the learning how to play the kalimba patterns on the piano, and learning to appreciate that I was actually onto something with my with my Tibetan bowls and flute sound healing concept in the eighties. So actually, it was a long in the eighties. How long ago is that? That's a long time ago, forty okay. years ago. So. Exactly. So anyway, that's when I was studying. So I don't know. I don't know where he is or what he's up to, but he must be. He's definitely getting up there in years now. But that's a nice connection. Uh, did you? Did you? Did he come down? You studied with him down there, or what? I did. I didn't study. We were. We were both. Uh, it was. It was at a jazz uh, festival or jazz society kind of get together um, sure. that was featuring the music and players from associated with San Quentin. And right. so he came out he, he directed some things and, you know, yeah. played some of his things. And I was not that familiar because he was not, neither of us were, you know, there were probably a handful that were like the major uh, names, you know, Bill sure. Holman and Bill Russo and, and Pete Rugolo and people like that. And Bill Matthew and I, we each had maybe four or five things that Stan recorded. So right. we, so we, uh, you know, I got, but I got to meet him. He was conducting some of his things and they were really sensitive things. Oh, I know he was way out there and, you know, but he was always sensitive, but he's always a little bit esoteric. And, you know, he got on Wyndham Hill for a little while. And then he was always proud of that one album that actually sold a lot because it was a group album, but it paid for his, his vacation to Bali for a few months. It was a really wonderful story because, you know, he was, he was a master musician and, and he had the choir, you know, he had the Sufi choir for a long time, which many of my friends were in. And he's just a phenomenal musician. And he's, you know, one of those guys, the musician's musician, right? Right. But a few of those people that are out there that that just seem to have a knack for understanding things at a quantum level beyond what I'll ever do this lifetime. <laughs> so I keep it simple. Exactly. I keep it real simple. Gene, you were going to say something. Well, first, I was wondering if we could play something from the cloud etching that your friend thought you were on. Oh, yeah. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so, about the music, I, not just the talking. <laughs> yeah, well, just uh, find the cloud etchings track. There's a couple of them. If you find cloud etchings 33, 
The other one might be a little bit long, but the Cloud Etchings 33 are shorter tracks, so they're easier to sneak in. Uh, as cloud, it would be called Cloud Etchings. And then what I did is I labeled at the, at the, I tagged onto the title what instruments were in that track, just as a way to know. People like to know what they're going to get if they're putting a track up. Is it Tibetan bells or is it a flute or is it synthesizer or piano? But, I'm going to uh, suggest there's one There's one that I liked. It was Flute and Birds. Okay. I like that. Very nice. Is that so Cloud Etching Flute and Birds? Right. Exactly. Great. That's perfect. That's That leads us right into the whole sound healing book. <laughs> okay. So we'll give that a listen. Cloud Etchings 33, Flute and Birds. Thank you. 
just gorgeous, which is what we expected, of course. And uh, for anybody who's who who happens to have joined us in the middle here, we're talking to Bodhi Starwater Sechko. I want to make sure I didn't get that wrong. And uh, uh, he's got um, what was it, eighteen albums out, and how many books? Uh, well, I have two books out, and I have some some a poetry book and some notebooks and some workbooks and other stuff. But the two books, one called Dao of Music by Bodhi Sechko and Five Elements of Sound Healing by Bodhi Starwater. Uh, that's my new handle now. I, 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 It's been my medicine name for 40 years. And last year I decided to come out with it just because there's a bazillion Bodhis on all the streaming platforms now. Well, in, in getting into the Five Elements of Sound Healing a little bit, one of the things that I found fascinating was you, you wrote a lot about rattles and how a rattle just doing a rhythm for several minutes can can put you and others in a trance-like state. And I never thought about that. So you wrote a lot about it. Would you like to speak about rattles? Yeah, I love uh, I love rattles. I just there. I think there was that moment I wrote about in the book when I experienced the shamanka from Siberia. Um, I I used to go. I've been to the international conference on shamanism many years in a row and i've opened for them many different times and played performances and i was at one of the workshops and she played one rattle for 45 minutes and had the whole room transfixed and and this is, was her thing and i was blown away and i think ever since then it's been with me and so and every rattle is different every rattle has its own voice and they're very powerful i mean it's similar to sitting and listening to crickets or frogs, or the ocean, how you can get entranced. I mean, you can go to the ocean and meditate for half an hour and felt like it's two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. A very similar kind of thing. And so I practiced that. So then I went on a quest to find the perfect rattle and I was open to it. And I, the story in the book is about how I traveled all over the world looking for rattles. I had rattles of all different kinds. And I did finally find the perfect rattle. Beautiful, made out of goat skin, smallish, just the right weight, just the right sound, the delicate sound, not too soft, not too loud, sort of the Goldilocks moment, the Goldilocks <laughs> rattle. Maybe I'll call it the Goldilocks rattle because uh, it's just, it's just sweet. And it's just, and, and many people who try it, they go, yeah, this is, this is amazing balanced rattle. And so I play it. All my sound healing journeys have a rattle section, a rattle portal where we go into that zone and it's just such a powerful way to relax the brain. It's, you know, it's called isochronic beat, right? The, I, the binaural beats are when you have two frequencies about six or eight hertz apart and you play one in each ear. And so you get the resultant tone of six hertz in your brain, which entrains to the theta state, dream state. If you want to go lower into the delta state, you make it accordingly. But the rattle and the drum what is what they call the isochronic beat, which creates a similar experience in the brain, but with just one tone instead of two tones creating a third tone. And so the rattle is that that place where you just get into that you can do a whole sound healing with just your voice and your body. You can you can imitate the rattle, the drum, sound, the birds. And you can do all kinds of things. So the rattle is just a really simple way and a deep, profound, shamanic, ancient practice 
of bringing ourselves into a state of relaxation and peace and connection to source just by using the rattle. So here's, here's something that, that comes up for me because some, you know, what you just described in a modern context might be, some people might be called beatboxing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and so much of, you know, I look, I look at modern musical performances, hip hop and, and, you know, these highly rhythmic performances and the crowds jumping up and down and they are having some kind of a rapturous ecstatic experience. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and using some of what amount to some very primitive, uh, primal, um, uh, kinds of impulses and the things, you know, even relating to what you were just talking about on the one, on the one side, it's kind of, you know, different kinds of churches, even some of them are very con contemplative and quiet and other, others of them have everybody dancing in the seats. Yeah. Shouting and screaming. Hallelujah. Uh, exactly. Can I get an amen? You know, um, moment. I mean, and it's all, it's part of the wave. The wave goes up and the wave goes down dynamics. And so, and, but you know what you do, if you really listen to like a rapturous gospel choir, they come down to a whisper. Sometimes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they get the whole body. The whole church is just down to a whisper, you know, and they just in that deep, very deep space, quiet. And then it'll build up again into the rapture. So yeah, I mean, dynamics, it's all about dynamics and, it just goes to show when I see the different kinds of music and the way people have religious experiences at a rock concert or whatever, or, or a mosh pit for that matter, you know, it's like connection. People want connection with themselves, with each other, with source. They want connection with nature, with each other, with source, you know, themselves, all those things. We have such a, we are such multifaceted beings. Just can't put us in a box and say, this is it. Because it's not that way. And we all have different cycles in our life where different things mean something different. I've always been more into quiet, contemplative music my whole life. That's been my favorite thing. Always the big, loud stadium thing. I, I could never really handle it. And, and these big festivals, I went once and I just, I just couldn't handle it. It's just not my thing. But give me five days of quiet nature retreat with some ohms and some sound healing and some some t water time and i'm in, i'm in bliss ecstasy well i'm thinking that also probably the people who come to your uh to he healing events are also similar in that they are a very sensitive crew of folks yeah and also it's uh, kind of like cultural waves because if you think about it you know, the 50s were kind of a quiet time and contained and for a lot of people it was very staid and confined. And then rock and roll came out and people could like express themselves and get funky and get wild and shout and scream and feel that energy, that wild energy. Now we're living in a time that's so frenetic and so fast that we're bombarded with information 24-7, 365 most half the population is completely exhausted and they don't have time to sleep. I know if you, you know, remember the crypto caves when that was popular, people would be in the crypto caves when crypto first came out 
And they would be days and days and days and days, you know, living on cocaine and, and, and sugar for days and days and days to stay up and to stay on it and to stay with current. And we're in this frenetic time of high energy, constant stimulation, go, 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 produce, produce, spend for yourself, survive, survive, all this tension. So in some ways, I think the sound healing wave has just come in right now as an antidote to that, as a natural place. People come to my sound healings, a lot of high powered people make a lot of money and they come down and they're gone. I mean, they are just completely gone for an hour and a half and they come back and they go, wow, I haven't felt that relaxed in months. So in a way, cultural waves determine the kind of music that's popular. That's my theory. There we go. Yeah. So um, something more, uh, something more current from you then that might, uh, might give our audience a taste of what, a, what they might experience in a sound healing. Oh, well, yeah. Well then uh, I had an album called soundscape Oasis. That was a recording of a live performance that came out quite beautiful. And so the title track of that album is called soundscape Oasis. Uh, that's on the Soundscape Oasis album. That's uh, actually one of my re most recent releases. Uh, and that was a couple of years ago because a couple of years ago, I started on the book and everything else went not only back burner, back burner but back 40 <laughs> just to finish the book. So that gives a good example of, of the kind of stuff I'm doing now. I think that's a great one to listen to. Soundscape All right. Let's, there it is. Soundscape Oasis. Bodhi Starwater Sechko.
So Bodhi, the uh, the five elements of sound healing, art of vibrational medicine and sonic ceremony. Quite a book. An easy read, but a beautiful read. Um, you put something in there that I hadn't seen before, which was uh, the table of the five elements of sound healing. Well, and- that's because I made it up. Okay. I actually, you know, I make notes for these things and I actually took a screenshot of it and put it here in my notes so I could, so I could look at it. And I wanted to hear you uh, maybe, you know, in your, in your words, describe what's going on there. Well, you notice it's exactly the same as the compass. It's identical to the, some people like round shapes. Some people like square boxes. Some people like uh, uh, words. Some people like sounds. Some people like to experience it. Some want to hear about it. Some people love math. Some people hate math. So, so it's like for me, what it was is uh, is in all the years that I've been practicing sound healing and studying it and tuning into it and teaching, I, I felt like I wanted to create. It was I don't know whether it was an intellectual decision or a or a, like a hallelujah moment where where I just I've always been into the elements. I've studied the elements in in this Native American Sioux Indian teachings. I studied for a long time with a couple called Rainbow Hawk and Wind Eagle, and they taught me about the council teachings and the directions and the and the circle and the elements and all that stuff. And it's always stuck with me for years and years and years. And so it was just one moment where the whole all the sound healing principles. And all the elements and the directions, they they just sort of like a binaural beat. They kind of be, I took those two things and they coalesced in my brain in this little chart of like, wow, that I really feel like the north me is the air, and the flute and the feather is a pretty obvious connection. And I also put a caveat in the book. I hope you caught that that. These are all just starting places for the conversation and they're not fixed points. Very important to every instrument has multiple aspects of elements. And it seems like, I mean, just like all of us has most multiple aspects of the astrological, uh, you know, charts, but I'm a Pisces by birth, by the, I fit in that little pie of the chart, but that doesn't mean I'm influ- not influenced by all the other 11 signs so it's the same way with the elements and the instruments you know breath and air and the north and the wind all just lines up for me and that's obvious the flute it's pretty obvious right i am a flute the breath goes through me so it was just a way to create a container to hold the information as a starting place like in order to drink the water i have a cup and it was just a thing that came to me and i started coalescing it took a long time to coalesce and to start and it kept morphing and changing and and then all of a once while it would just drop in like oh my god and it changed 20 30 times before it actually dropped in the puzzle like a puzzle the puzzle was complete and i left out a lot of things the main, biggest hardest job in this book was to leave out to edit out things that weren't Relevant. I started going down, you know, the five elements of acupuncture and the five elements of Chinese medicine, the da 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 da, all these things, and then and then the five senses. Oh my God! I went down a whole rabbit hole of the five senses with the elements and the nature and the instruments, and I just said, stop 
just what is in this, what's relevant to this. And that kept it simple. So it really was pretty much, I don't know whether it was a vision or a revelation or a gift from God, but it just gave me a container to once I had laid that structure out, that outline, I could just drop in everything that I know about sound healing. Oh, it's obviously it fits there. And it gave me a way to organize my material. Does that well, make I sense? It makes perfect sense. And I have to say, having having just read your book in the last few days, um, <laughs> that you have a, a wonderful, beautiful style, very descriptive, very, you know, I mean, you, you, you have these, these small, you know, stories of a page or two that set you in a uh, some circumstance where these things are going on, and uh, they really take you there. They transport you there. And, oh, nice! I love that's a great compliment. Thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, and then you talk about the the mechanics of uh, of how these things work together, and. Uh, uh, I do have to say, you th you threw out a few words that Jeannie and I were talking about. <laughs> you know, we both had to go look them up. Okay, um, tell me, tell me. Oh, like, for, like what? One of them was uh, somatic, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. Yeah. Somatics. Well, it's interesting you say that because to all my young sound healing friends, that's a normal word. And there's a, hundreds and hundreds of videos on YouTube describing what somatics are. It's basically... You know, it's a demonstration of vibration into form in a mm -hmm. nutshell. And it's interesting that you didn't know that word because my music professor from college, who was one of my best friends when I was 18, we, we just totally connected when I was 18 and he is now 94 and we are still best friends. And he went through my book through a fine tooth comb. And he could not even find the word cymatics in his dictionaries, any of his dictionaries. Mm -hmm. So he said, what is this word? I didn't know this word. And I said, well, <laughs> now I feel better. <laughs> it's, it's a generational thing. It's a new word that's come in to the, to the, uh, to the milieu into this, a new meme, very popular in the last 20 years. And if you look on, if there's a couple videos, one in particular, this guy, sets up like a whole rock band kind of set up with bass, drums, guitar, keyboards. And he has physical representations of water coming out of a faucet. And it goes out in curly cues when the bass drum hits it. Hmm. And it, all these demonstrations. And, you know, the whole famous thing of sand on a, a, a vibrating. And, you know, what's his name? Did it uh, Miramoto with the water thing. Right. All those right. ice crystals. Yeah, water that is cymatics in, yeah. in in very obvious and it's just a word that somehow creeped in i don't there's a word that Hans jenny made up made the word up i guess mm -hmm. he just was looking for a word to describe the phenomenon of actually proving that vibration creates form mm, yeah i've seen it done with a singing bowl with water in the bowl and then playing exactly having the mallet go around it's it's mind boggling to actually see that because, you know, we don't normally see that, see sound coming into form. And uh, I saw that not too long ago. So, yeah. I did I, I, go ahead. Well, I saw in a, in a college performance where I did my final performance where I had an electronic orchestra and I had a guy in the back projecting a laser onto a mandala screen and the laser was was uh getting its feed from the from the sound of the band from the mixing board okay so it oh, came wow. in and, and it was just dancing all over the place for the whole 
performance. At one point in the performance, the laser went into a perfect five-pointed star. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I mean, I had three keyboards, bass, drums, lead guitar. I mean, it was off the charts. It was like, I, it was epic. In fact, that was an album I put out called Moon Waves, which I think got lost somewhere back in the late, early 80s. But it was phenomenal. So that was my first real visceral experience. I was blown away when I watched the video of the performance later on, paused it at that moment. And it's like, wow, there's a perfect five-pointed star from mm. the laser screen. So that was it. And then ever since then, you know, all these different, when you start studying it and you look at, you know, Hans Jenny's book, which is this thick and this big and mm. all the, it's just called Cymatics, his book. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, you know, coffee table book, giant thing, weighs mm. 10 pounds. <laughs> it's got pictures up the wazoo of things he created just by finding the perfect frequency. And, and that's what Cymatics is. So it's, it's pretty much uh, in the lingo now. What other words did you find? Well, I, I did want to, I did want to, uh, because once, once I looked it up and then I understood, you know, what you just described, um, I went, oh, that's that chapel in Scotland. Uh, you probably know about that Rosalind Chapel in Scotland, where it's a, a, a 15th century chapel where the, the forms are, go up the wall and at the base of the wall, there's musicians. So, the, so they had to, you know, didn't, didn't know what the forms were, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's like a medieval chant. Oh, I see. It's like, it's like a music score. It's like a music score, but it's, but it's in the geometric forms. Hmm. Well, you know, they call, you know, the, the geometry uh, geeks, they call architecture frozen music. Hmm. That's a very famous term in the in the sacred geometry world, and the, you know. So, the, and then that brings up the famous quote: "Writing about music is like dancing about architecture." There you go. <laughs> there's lots of there's lots of, there's lots of. I mean, that's why I talk about quiescence because there ain't no silence. Hmm. There we go. Well, one of the other words was entrainment. Oh, I know that one. Oh, you know <laughs> that one. See, I never. I didn't know that word. Yeah. Yeah, that's another. See, these all these five these five principles are very standardized now. Every sound healer talks about. Well, I know that from a psychology point of view, though, and talking about having the brain and the heart be entrained, and and that oh, the, the wow. brain could there cause the heart entrained, and that that, that one foot journey, one foot journey, yeah, coherence, that one foot journey from the mind yeah. to the heart to yeah. to yeah. to align them. And truthfully, we know our life really works best when those two are are entrained. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, it's something I uh, I teach uh, music appreciation classes, and so I teach some very basic musical uh, kinds of ideas to students who have no music background whatsoever, other than right. listening to it. Um, yeah. And and so I I've, I've used that concept. You know, I I will I will just beat a beat you know, with my, with my hands or on the table or something like that. And I'll slow it down and I'll say, so do you feel more excited? Do you feel more calm? You know, and, and, and just showing that concept in a very simple way. Exactly. I mean, tempo is a very great, a great, I mean, if, if you just go through music and you just look at tempo, you can get a lot from just that. I mean, look at bebop, right? I mean, talk about getting people worked up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What okay? What's another word, Gene, for you? 
Uh, well, it wasn't just a word, but it was a, an instrument. The um, let's see if I can find the picture. The the shooty box. Shruti box. Shruti box. Yeah, it has an R. Shruti box. I I had no idea what that was until I looked it up. I actually watched a video on how to play it. Uh, that, <laughs> that's really like, the whole thing. Went, oh, well, it's great. Which, this is what. This is what a book can do, you know. If somebody finds one little gem in there, it opens up a whole new world, right? It just and yes. it links it all. You realize how connected it is, and so I just, uh, and so and, and, and that's really great to hear that. It's always good to see what what some people uh, relate to and resonate with, and other people not at all. And then different pictures, like different instruments, or people are drawn to different instruments, different types of music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. colors different foods i mean that's why you know diets i mean there is no one diet there's no one fit one for which fits all diet man there's no way that thing's ever gonna fly so there's no one way so everybody finds which is why i like when i do a sound journey i yeah, i cover all the bases i go and then at the end everybody comes up oh wow when you played the ocarina that was the most amazing someone else oh my god the crystal chimes that was the moment for me and somebody else oh the drum was so like i got so so everybody has a completely different experience of the journey the same you know the whatever you know the 10 guys around the elephant you know Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. Right. One of the things you you talked about in the book, and and I, I love that you gave an example of how to create a sound journey, but you you wrote about portals, and I was I wasn't really clear. I mean, I know what a portal is. I didn't have to look that up, but I I didn't really understand the concept as as you were using it. Is it just a transition from one kind of sound to another kind of sound in the sound journey? Well, well, first, tell me what you think you mean by portal. Well, a, 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 generally, a portal is an opening, something that leads from, well, in a physical place to another physical place. So I think perhaps that's why I was like, um, I don't, I'm not sure what that means when it has to do with sound. Well, it's actually, it's, a, it, you know, I mean, in some ways, I, I kind of stretch the world. I mean, I learned the concept from Tito. And what I actually stretched to me when portal, you, you usually like it is an opening, but what I now have come to for my usage, I call it, there's three things. There is the portal itself when you're in this world. It's a new world. You've okay. gone to a new world. Uh, and right. it's a parallel. So it's like if you're listening to the rattle, it's very different than when you're listening to the gong. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a different sonic universe. Sure. And then, and then between them, there's a gateway between the portals. And that's when transitions become really important. Smooth transitions. You know, we all like, because transitions are usually in life. They're the hardest things in life. You know, oh my God, mm -hmm. divorce, lost my house. My car blew up all in one month, right? Mm -hmm. It's, that's not a smooth transition. Right. So <laughs> a smooth transition might be like, hey, you know, we're really growing apart. Let's. This, you know, maybe I take a year and we'll gradually love, lovingly separate, you know, or whatever. So, or, 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 you know, or like, let's just take this car in and get it checked out before we go on the road trip. And, oh my God, it has a leaky head gasket. Let's fix that before we go. So that's a smoother transition of repairing that car than having it blow up on the road. So in, in the, so I have these things, there's the portal, there's actually the sonic universe. A portal is like a sonic universe of a place 
and it and like I said, everybody relates differently. So some everybody's going to feel different in each portal. And the gateway into it is the opening to the portal, and then it's a new place. And the transition is how we open the gateway, whether it's delicately with soft sounds or a bowl or a or a shaker or a you know a broom, some kind of sound that opens, clears the space, and just makes it more uh, etheric and more nebulous before we land in another place. So that's okay. how I understand it. And it's very helpful in creating a sonic ceremony or a sound healing journey because I'm very conscious of where I am the entire time. And I know where I'm at. I know what instruments I'm playing and what effect they're having. I know how I'm in training with the rattle. I know how I'm opening the space with the gong. I know how I'm opening the breath with the flute. I know how I'm like, really creating like a an etheric kind of shamanic experience with the feathers and all those. And so, and so it's a very conscious journey. I'm very awake and conscious while everybody else is deeply traveling and you want to lift people up and take them or take them down or out wherever they go. You know, sometimes the shamanic journey with the Michael Harner style is that down the tunnel and down to the river and then go on a journey. And then you may go to space from there. So there's all these different ways to open and gender. So you want to open it up to the portal and then come safely back and then land the ship after the journey and, and, you know, the starship and come back to this place so you can function at this reality. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. That makes perfect sense. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've been playing church services in new age, new thought centers, um, for about a quarter of a century now. And yeah. I, you know, so there's a lot of different people and a lot of different services, but the ritual flows along and it has certain places it's going to go. And some people do it so sensitively and artistically, just as you've just described by moving easily from one thing to the other. Seamlessly is seamlessly exactly and unfortunately others are not so well uh functioning at that Mm. you know and i and so when i read your book you know i was i was really going oh this this idea of of seamless transitions it really resonated with me nice yeah you can understand yeah i know i've also been new thought churches for actually longer than that i was a i've been music directors at five different churches and i've been playing churches for forever. And so, and I'm actually just took a break from that and I'm only doing a few now, like a once a month instead of once a week. So it's a nice little break, but I would love to come down in Southern Cal and, and make a circuit sometime. I want to do some work. You could say, <laughs> all right, there you go. Well, that's right. We'll definitely hook it up. Redlands. Is that the church you're at? No, I'm after I'm in Riverside. Yeah, I'm at Redlands. So, oh, great! I got two connections already. There we go. Yeah, you do. There is a guy down there. What's his name? John. Oh God, I can't remember his name right now. Who went down there? Williams. Russell Williams. I think he's in Riverside. Okay. There's a lot of ministers. It's amazing. Yeah, there are. There are. Yes. And there's a lot of sound healers now. Yes, or people that call themselves that at any rate. 
Well, you got to start somewhere, you know, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's like, you know, anybody can, you know, anybody gets the gift to offer something. At what point do you become a musician? You know, you have to at some point right. like say, okay, I'm going to go out and play now. I'm going to yeah. do the thing yeah. and find our way. And so my, my, you know, my vision is to, is to just help anybody and teach people who, who want to learn how to, you know, maybe, maybe skip over some of the, uh, drastic experiences I've, I've seen with some beginners that really come out a little too soon. <laughs> well, if people want to take advantage of your teachings or uh, attend a soundscape oasis, where would they go? Uh, soundscapeoasis.com. Okay. Okay. And if they wanted more of your music or to contact you or. Yep. Same place. Soundscapeoasis.com. I can receive emails there. Uh, you can see all my work. There's links to my music on Bandcamp. Uh, on the, all the streaming platforms, I'm just Bodhi. Bodhi with the hat. B-O-D-H-I, Bodhi with the hat. I uh, I pretty much try to have a hat in every picture because there's so many Bodhis. Uh, so I look for Bodhi with the hat. And and I'm not sure how I'm going to transition into the Bodhi Starwater because I have you know a couple hundred tracks under Bodhi and and for a while, for in the early 2000s, I was the only Bodhi, but now there's hundreds of Bodhis, so it's still harder to find me. But I'm on all those streaming platforms, and 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 there's a and my website has a great 30-minute uh, documentary of my work called A Journey of Sound and Silence, which is a really fun, kind of parallels the book, actually. Nice, uh, nice. About goes through the elements, and it shows me at my temple, shows me out in nature playing, talking about the book. Before the book was written, actually, it was a precursor because I've had this outline for a few years. It's just finally made into book form. And now there's an online course I'd like to create. Oh. And that just all takes time and patience and perseverance and all that good stuff that both of you, I'm sure, are well aware of. <laughs> so, Bodhi, it's, it's been great. I've uh, really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, uh, if we were going to have some sort of a piece of music to go out on what do you think people should be left with maybe a a little sound healing yeah i, I would love to play a track from deep dream uh that's my favorite album right now it's just it's just really came out fantastic i really put all the sound healing principles into that album and it's got some great tracks so how about uh a track called surrounding mountains all right, that's the one then. So we've been talking to Bodhi Starwater Sechko or Bodhi Starwater or Bodhi Sechko or just plain Bodhi with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a joy. So this is from Deep Dreams Surrounding Mountains. Do I have that right? Deep Dream, no S on the end. Deep Dream Surrounding Mountain. Thank you, Bodhi. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. My honor, really great to meet you and thank you for having me on your program. <laughs> <laughs>